Okay, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for being here. Uh, we're using the same notes as last week. We'll probably get halfway through them. It's Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 17. Uh, I'll begin reading here. I'll read in the NIV. I'll just read chapter 9 up through verse 17 in the NIV. And then uh, on the notes, it's going to be the English Standard Version. So here we go. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 is uh, going to be, we, we we're going to say 30 A.D. It, it's pretty clear that's, that was when it was fulfilled. Uh, and then beginning in verse 10, uh, it, it's, we would assume it's the second coming. Uh, and so they're going to be talking about, you know, the distant future. After, we would say after the church age. But yet as you go through here, there's many things that this is being written. Uh, Zechariah, you know, is being written, say, you know, 518, 516, right in this time period. And it's projecting, prophesying into the future, in Zechariah's future. And so we're going to be talking about the Greeks and Alexander coming in 331, 332 is, you know, when he dies and he marches into Jerusalem uh, during that time. So that was kind of the early part of the chapter. And so we're kind of, we have one way of looking at this is that overlapping prophecy. You've got things that are going to take place up through the coming of Christ. And that would be, you know, verse 9, because that, that was fulfilled. And then verse 10 would either be going back and forth or it's projecting in a dual fulfillment of a future time so i'll, I'll show you those things and, and you, you're familiar with many of them but here it is in the niv chapter 9 beginning in verse 9 rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout daughter of jerusalem uh, see your king comes to you righteous and having salvation gentle and riding on a donkey on a colt the foal of a donkey and again that was quoted right in the new testament we see that as being the first coming of christ I will take away the chariots from Ephraim. Uh, now, again, he did not do that the first time. This is more of the, the Messiah coming in deliverance or something that's going to take place between in the future where even in the Old Testament, God could intervene historically in, in Israel's time. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations... Now that is, seems like it's projecting into the distant future. He will rule with extend, his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Uh, again, seems to be going back and forth talking about the world and the nations, but also talking to his people Israel. Return to the fortress, or return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. You know, a return from exile. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and, will, and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior sword. Okay, that's talking about a battle. Uh, it can be an end time situation. In, in maybe you know covered in revelation uh but also talking about against greece that's the next empire that's alexander's empire and alexander's going to die and then you're going to have the 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 seleucids and the ptolemies ptolemy south the seleucids in the north uh and they're going to have those events which are going to lead to the maccabean revolt so that that could be being something that's going to come into this 
future before the coming of Christ, but yet it seems like it's talking about the distant future, uh, but a battle where God is leading people, a, a physical battle where the Lord is empowering the people to do the battling. But then in verse 14, something shocking happens. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. And now it seems like you're going to have a manifestation of the Lord himself in the physical world. And so if you're just going to have it something like Mount Sinai, which is similar to Mount Sinai, where God came down on Mount Sinai, or if this is, in a sense, the second coming in the future, uh, and again, we will see this, then the Lord will appear over them. His arrows will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They'll be full like a bowl used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them on that day as the flock of his people, a covenant people. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and the new wine the young women. And that's, when it talks about the young men and the, and the young women, it seems to be projecting it into an, a next generation as if it's ongoing. So that's what we've got there in the NIV. And now on your page right here on your notes, we've got the English Standard Version. And I've got it changed, as you see on the notes. Uh, uh, the Jews are in the bold print, you know, daughter of Zion, you, your prisoners, them. Uh, in the gray box, uh, the king... He or his, talking about uh, the Messiah, or yeah, the King, the, yeah, the Messiah, and Yahweh, I, the Lord, his, the Lord, uh, is speaking about an, an appearance of, you know, Yahweh himself. And that's going down through there in the, in the English Standard Version. So I'm going to turn to um, page, oh, let's go to page, uh, well, I'll just go to page three, and I want to get to, I want to get to a certain point tonight, so... Uh, speaking in chapter 9, verse 10 on page 3, this would be the first verse after, you know, 9-9, which is talking about, appears to be 30 A.D., gentlemen riding on a donkey. Uh, he's rejected, and it seems like that's put aside, and we're waiting now for these next events to take place, if we were to make a very simple explanation. And now he says in chapter 9, verse 10, this is yet future, because we saw 9-9 fulfilled, 9-10, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. So there the I would be Yahweh speaking, and he would be the king, the, the Messiah that's doing the ruling. And again, that's point one at the bottom of the page. I, Yahweh, speaks uh, in the future. He will deliver Israel. I'm turning the page four very quickly. Uh, point six, together, uh, Ephraim in the north and Jerusalem in the south refer to the entire land of Israel. So it talks about Ephraim will devour, Jerusalem will be with them. And so that seems like a reunited nation. Uh, Yahweh will cut off oppressive foreign military in Israel before the Messiah establishes his kingdom. So there's going to have to be Yahweh himself 
uh, cutting off the enemies, and then the kingdom is reestablished. And the word cut off, you can see in point eight, is kara, means to cut off, to cut down. Saul cuts off the mediums. Micah talks about your adversaries shall be cut down. And that day declares Yahweh, I will cut off your horses from among you. Uh, And then Daniel talks about the Messiah himself being cut off. You can see I've got that highlighted there uh, where it says, And after uh, the weeks, uh, 62, uh, shall be cut off the Messiah. So that's all about the first coming where he will be cut off from the land. He's going to die. And so that's what the word cut off means. Uh, in Zechariah 9.10, cut off seems to refer to the violent destruction and removal of the chariots, the horses, and battle bows by Yahweh in chapter 10. He's going to come in and he's going to cut them off. They're going to be removed from the land. Uh, page 5 of the notes. Uh, before Messiah begins to reign in peace on the earth, there's going to be this cutting off of all these enemies. Uh, point 10 the mention of Ephraim and Jerusalem gives the impression this is more than the city and more than southern Judah. The deliverance comes from both Ephraim and Judah, or the north and the south. Again, a reunited kingdom. Uh, point 11, the man, the Davidic king, the Messiah, will establish a universal reign of peace. And it says, not only will the king bring peace to Israel, but to all the nations. And it says, the Davidic kingdom's dominion will be from sea to sea. Now, what does that mean? His dominion will be from when he establishes the kingdom, it will be from sea to sea, uh, from the Nile to the Euphrates River, uh, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Red Sea, uh, from the Mediterranean Sea to the Dead Sea. But the point seems to be from one end to the other or a universal dominion. I mean, it says his reign will be from sea to sea when he does this. Point two, the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, from, from what river to the ends of the earth? In Psalm 72, verse 8 through 11, it says, May he have dominion from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The desert tribes bow down before him and his enemies lick the dust. May the kings of Tarshish and the coastlands render tribute. May the kings of the Sheba and Seba bring gifts. May all kings fall down before him. All nations serve him. So when it says that, that reference, if you use it, compare it to Psalms, it would seem to be universal. It's, it's not necessarily from, well, which river to what sea. It's just the ideal is it's universal. Isaiah 66 uses something similar. The time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see uh, my glory, and I will set a sign among them, and from them I will send survivors to the nations. So there's, at some point, all the nations are going to be gathered to see the glory of the Lord. So we're going to see, assume the Lord has come. The nations are going to be gathered to him. They're going to see his glory on the earth, visibly in Jerusalem. And he's going to send survivors to the nations to Tarshish, Pul, Lud, Tubal, Javan, the coastlands far away that have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. Almost like after the Lord returns, there's going to be an evangelistic outreach of them going out and proclaiming that he has come. Because there's going to be a battle. The nations are going to gather for battle against the Lord. But it doesn't mean every last individual is going to be there fighting. Their troops, their leaders are going to be there fighting. They'll be defeated. But back home, you're going to have the families, the individuals that were back in the nations. And now they're going to have to deal with, you know, either accept or reject the Messiah that has come back. Uh, it t- mentions the king, uh, and these are the things the king would be expected to do, the roles he'd represent, the gods, uh, 
maintain justice, be the judge, be the military commander. These are all things that he'll do. Now, uh, point C on page 6, coming out of verse 10, it it says, He'll proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, from the river to the ends of the earth. Uh, Yahweh has selected David and David's sons to serve as Yahweh's chosen agents. And these kings are a reflection of Yahweh's kings. So in, in the meantime, before this event takes place, uh, there's going to be, uh, the Lord is going to be the ruler, but he's going to set up, David has been chosen, and so David's sons are going to be in that position of the Messiah or the Lord until he manifests. This is going to be like a, a shadow of the Messiah coming. Uh, and uh, again, that's his point C1. These kings are a reflection of Yahweh's kingship. Yahweh is not here physically reigning, but during the, the Old Testament, uh, David's sons were reigning as a reflection of that. And here we go, Second Samuel. Uh, David and his sons were adopted as God's son to represent Yahweh. Second Samuel seven twelve through 14 says, When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I'll raise up your offspring after you and you shall come from that shall come from your body and i will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and i will establish the throne of his kingdom forever i'll be to him a father and he shall be to me a son and that's god's word to david talking about solomon uh and then psalm 2 verse 6 through 7 as for me i've set my my king on zion my holy hill i will tell of the decree the lord said to me you are my son today i've begotten you and so in a sense, what he's saying right there, he's adopting David as his son to be the ruler, but eventually it's going to give way to, this is going to be, give way to uh, the Lord who's going to become one of the sons in this line of David. Uh, point nine, chapter 9, verse 11, at the bottom of the page, as for you, and again, talking now to you, to Israel, the people God has chosen, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, he's made a covenant with them, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And again, the important thing there is God has made a covenant with Israel, and because of that, their prisoners are going to be restored. There's a day coming where they're going to be brought back, they're going to be restored. And uh, point one on page seven, this verse and section chapter nine, verses 11 through 17, the rest of this, Uh, it begins with also. So it's a continuation of verse 10. Also, besides what he's just said, uh, he's going to establish his rule over the world. Also, along with that, it connects this. And chapter 9, verse 1 through 10 that we've read in the past describes the Lord's victory over his enemies of his righteous and peaceful kingdom. He's he's defeated them. But then chapter 9, verse 11 through 17 continues the ideal of the Lord's kingdom and discussing the process of, uh, the Lord used to establish his kingdom of righteous and peace over the enemies. Uh, point five, look right there. The blood of the, my covenant with you refers to the Mosaic covenant. And it's, uh, in here, the notes, only in Exodus 24, 3 through 8, is the blood of the covenant referred to uh, besides uh, Jesus in Mark fourteen twenty four. So when it talks about that blood of the covenant, it's referring back to uh, the works of Moses. And you can see those verses there. And uh, it's definitely talking about the Mosaic Covenant. Point page 8. Um, a, a chapter 9, verse 12. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Uh, 
And, and again, this is the Lord speaking to Israel to re- return. Uh, point one, this is an imperative commanding Israel to return. It requires two things. It requires repentance, and then that returns a return of the land and leads to restoration or a return uh, or a, a return of the Lord and then a return to the land. And so when they return to the Lord, they will get to come back to the land. Uh, Zechariah used the word sabu, which would have caused the people of 518 to recall the words and ministry of Jeremiah 80 to 100 years before. Uh, and you can see three references there of Jeremiah using that word, saying, I'm going to restore you. So they're going to be gone into captivity, but they would be restored. Chapter 9, verse 13, For I, Yahweh, have bent Judah as my bow. I, Yahweh, have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, which in a sense seems to put us here historically. And again, this is being re- prophesied you know, back here, 518, 516. And so it it's now seems to be prophesying uh, of uh, Judah and Ephraim being uh, weaponized to fight against the rise of, of the Grecian Empire that's going to overthrow the Persian Empire that's ruling. And obviously that's true, but because of the, the placement in this, you look and you wonder, is this talking about, is this going, in our case, going back? Again, remember, it would be future in Zechariah's day. But because all these other things seem to be talking about the end of, if we draw a timeline, uh, we've got Jesus' return here at the end of the, of the seven-year tribulation. You're going to have this church age, which is a mystery. It's not revealed here in this text. And then you're going to have right here the return from Babylon. Let's just draw an arrow up. They've returned from Babylon to Jerusalem. Here's the Babylonian return. And they're back in Jerusalem. And that's where they're at right here in, in 520, 515, 516. Let's write Jerusalem a little bit clear. But after Persia, after Babylon came Persia. And now is going to come Greece. And so at this time, say 518 the prophecy seems to be pointing towards this right here, the rise of Greece that's going to take place here. But yet, many of these other things seem to be talking about this final day right here. So it's like, and this is a mystery. No one at this point, and you've got to read this kind of in the context of when it was written, no one at this point is thinking, ah, the church age. Jesus is going to come riding on a donkey here, uh, offering them peace, and he's going to reject the people because they didn't respond the people are going to reject him, and he's going to return to heaven. And these, all these verses here would seem to be waiting for it to take place sometime here in the end. But yet, right here, you've had Greece. So this, you talk about dual prophecies. This could be, in a sense, again, it's being written back here. So it, it was fulfilled, in a sense, right here with the rise of Greece. But yet it's in the midst of verses that haven't happened yet. And so is this going to be somehow repeated back over here in the future? I mean, ultimate fulfillment. And so here we read right here, um, chapter 9, verse 12, on top of page 8. This is in the English Standard Version. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. So... Uh, the prisoners of hope, and this, this becomes, I don't want to say confusing, although, it, I mean, yes, okay, it's confusing, but 
they've just come back from Babylonian captivity at the hand of the Persians, and they're back in the land in five, well, you know, they came back, they're in the land in 520, wanting to rebuild, but they've got, you know, they've been here for a while since they came back in, in 539, and now they've rebuilt the temple, and they're back on track, and so return, and so it's going to take place sometime in, in this future right here. But yet, because they reject Jesus, and he rejects them, not only did they reject Jesus, they rejected him, he, he went into, back to heaven, they, Israel was placed in, dispersed among the world, uh, that takes place in 30 AD. So now, uh, what takes place here is, is yet in the future. So, return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. They're returning from Babylonian captivity here, you know, during this time period. But they're going to have a return yet in the future. Now again, in 48, uh, 48, 1948, Israel came back as a nation, which totally upset all the, the reform teachers who just merely discredited this whole book and just made it all refer to the church. All the Old Testament prophecies are now being fulfilled in the church. Uh, replacement theology. I mean, it just there it is. If we're talking about Israel, well, Israel failed. They're thrown out, and now the church takes place right here. Well, that, now some people hold to that. You don't want to just throw it away and say it's stupid. But some people hold that. But it takes all these prophecies and makes them figurative talking about the church. But if they're actual prophecies, God is going to form the church, build the church, and then continue to be faithful to Israel and the church at the same time. And that's where you get those prophecies about the bride and the friends of the bride. The bride being the church. God has chosen his bride, but yet you're going to have the friends that are going to come over, and that's going to be Israel. So you've got two phases going on right here. And that, that's now you're into eschatology. You're going to have to unravel that some people just throw israel away the church replaced israel and we go on but then you got all these verses that seem to be well like right here return to your stronghold O prisoners of hope today i declare that i will restore to you double at point one return is from shub it means to turn back return this is in the imperative commanding israel to return this requires a repentance a return to the lord and when they return to the Lord, they get to return to the land, and they returned in 1948. You go back to the 1500s, the 1600s, the 1800s, all that theology worked. The church replaced Israel. But all of a sudden, Israel's back in the land. Uh, not a total fulfillment, but, well, they're back in the land. They're, they actually gave back the Temple Mount, they actually c- controlled it and gave it back back in, in in 1967 it was like they returned it they could have ju- they could have just took over it i mean it would have been world war three but they could have done this but nonetheless they're here and you've got this overlap right now you have an overlap right now of israel is a functioning nation they don't have the temple mound and the church is still here functioning now we're waiting for this rapture of the church the removal of the church and now it's going to come down. Eventually, it's going to come down. You're going to have the pre-trib rapture where the, because the church is going to meet the Lord in the air. And it's not Israel. Israel's going to be left behind unless they're believers. You know, like Paul would go in the rapture if he was here. 
Then you're going to have the mid-trib, you know, some kind of a mid-trib. And then you're going to have the, the post-trib, you know, one to sometime here. But nonetheless, the church is going to meet the Lord in the air. I think all Christians believe the Lord is good. They're going to meet the Lord in the air. And there's going to be groups that are there. It's a matter of the timing. Now, let's go back to this. <clears throat> Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. Uh, and that's point one is uh, requires a repentance to return to the land and then leads to a restoration of the land. Jeremiah referred to this and then Zechariah used the word sabu would have caused the people 518 to recall the words and ministry of Jeremiah. So when they come back from Babylonian captivity in 518 or you know 539 especially 518 while Zechariah is preaching they're thinking ah these words are fulfilled we've returned to the land O prisoners of hope. But then in 70 AD uh, after 30 A.D., Jesus crucified. Then in 70 A.D., they're removed from the land, and they've been gone until 1948. So there's almost a 2,000-year period, roughly 2,000, two millennium, that Israel was not in the land. And now they've returned, and now they're there again. And so what's going on? I mean, this, it, it's almost like a double prophecy, a double fulfillment. Okay, chapter five, 9, verse 13. For I have bent Judah as my bow... I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and weld you like a warrior sword. So we go back to here. They've come back from Babylonian captivity, as you see right here. And then after the Persians, the Greeks take over, Alexander worships in the temple. He lets them go, gave them certain privileges, and goes off. He, he divided the Egypt from the northern kingdom, and he defeats both of them and just keeps going east well the people that replaced alexander were not as kind to israel and that is where you're going to have israel fighting greece uh, he says i will stir up your sons o zion against the sons o greece and weld you like a warrior sword so now you turn the page nine uh these verses were i'm going to say partially fulfilled in the conflict between the maccabees the sons of zion and the Greek solutions coming out of Syria, coming out of north, you know, Syria. You can see the map over here. There's the star Jerusalem. Syria would be up to the north, uh, Damascus, Ribla, up in that area. And they came down. You've got Ptolemy ruling in, the, in Egypt. You've got the solutions ruling up north. And I should probably get a, a map scribbled on the board here. Uh, Greece is the Hebrew word Javan. It means son of Japheth and, and his descendants. The word Javan first appears in Genesis 10. Uh, Isaiah talks about it. Daniel talks about the goat as the king of Greece. So Daniel talked about Babylon, Persia, Greece coming. And then he talked about Rome. Greece was at this time a rising power. When Zechariah is writing, say uh, uh, 518, Greece was a rising power within 20 years. Again, let's, let's go ahead and get rid of this. If this is 518, uh, and we're going backwards, counting backwards, by uh, uh, 498, uh, this, is, this begins to unfold. Within 20 years, Zechariah's words from 518, the Greeks had started a rebe rebelling against Persia. Uh, the Athenians sent triremes to help the Ionians capture and burn Sardis. So they've crossed over. You don't have a map here. Um, but you're going to have, you know, Asia Minor over here. You're going to have Greece in here. And they've crossed over into 
this area right here would be Corinth, and you're going to have the, the you got Athens in here, you got Greece, you got Macedonia up here, sloppy, sloppy map. But this was all Persian territory. But they, the Greeks had settled over here in this area, were settling the coast and moving this way. Uh, and so by, by 498, within 20 years of this writing, they began a revolt against the mass, or the, uh, the, uh, 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 the Persians. Uh, it was part of the Ionian revolt in 499 to 493. So 498... 493, you're having wars with Greece and Rome. The Greek-Persian wars followed in 492 to 449. So up to 449. And this book is being written, let's say, 518, these prophecies. So you can see within the next 50, 60 years, there's going to be conflict with Greece with uh, 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 the, 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 um, the, the Persians. Okay, turn the page. And here you're going to have a map uh, first you got uh, Sardis was burnt by the Ionians with help from the Athenians and the Greeks in 498. So right here on this map, Sardis, you can't see it there. You've got a better map there. Here's Sardis on the other side of the Aegean Sea. And they had gone across and they had burnt uh, uh, Sardis, which is one of the churches... Uh, in Revelation, it's in there. But they'd gone across, they'd burnt that. It was on this major road coming from Susa. Now you can see Susa over there. There was a, a, a road that ran from Susa up past, you know, south of Nineveh, all the way through Cappadocia to Sardis, which is right here. This is in the area of the, the seven churches of, of, of John. Uh, it was a 1,700-mile road, a Persian road, uh, and it had stations and fresh horses every 15 miles. It would take seven days. Now listen, seven days to travel with a letter from Susa, the capital. You can see the capital of Persia on the other side of, you know, Susa's over there. You go across the Tigris, the Euphrates. You cover all the land. You come off of the map, come into Asia Minor here. And you could do that in a matter of seven days. And they're gonna, you'd be riding a fresh horse every 15 miles, and the riders and the horses would be being changed, and they could communicate back and forth on this road. So you can see right there, uh, talks about it, uh, details right here. Point four, Yahweh would use Judah's southern nation as a bow and Ephraim as a north nation, and, and Zion would be like a sword against the Greeks. The Greeks are now going to end up invading at, uh, the, the Persians and moving in and driving them out as Alexander goes all the way across that map and we already read about him coming down to Jerusalem and then dividing the kingdom he had the, divided the southern part of the kingdom from the northern north and northeast part of the kingdom and that was his victory now the sons of Greece after Alexander they're going to turn to page 11 this just going through here uh, these are from books from the uh, maps from the framework book uh, the first map is 167. Now we're in, we're going to go back to, here's Jerusalem, and here is the Seleucids up here in, in, a, in what we'd say is, uh, you know, the north, the king of the north. Down here would be Ptolemy's kingdom, the king of the south, Egypt. This would be Jerusalem. You can see the maps. Um, and in 167, 
to 160, we're going to have what is called the Maccabean Revolts. And to make the people submit in Israel, the kings of the north, the Seleucids, they sent down a general, it'd be on that first map on page 11, Apelles was the general, had a detachment, had a statue of Zeus, they came down and forced the sons of the priest of Modin, right here, on your way up, as you drive up to Jerusalem, through the hill country, you go right past the exit of on one of the roads, winding up the hills of the ancient city of Modin, it's still there, and uh, the ancient Mattathias, he was an old man, had five sons, and they were supposed to make an offering to Zeus. Uh, they had a little statue there. They had a little, you know, a pig. And they didn't. Instead, Mattathias turned and stabbed one of the guys at the offering. His sons pulled out swords and slaughtered uh, the people there, the Greeks that were there in Modin in 167. That began the Maccabean Revolt. Now, this, I, we, we're not going to cover the Maccabean Revolt here. But then... They had to flee into the hills of Gophna. You can see the hills of Gophna. They're nine miles east of Modin. They fled nine miles into the, towards the hills. Uh, and a year later, they sent down the, 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 uh, the Seleucids, sent down 3,000 troops to face 1,000 troops of the Maccabees fighting for Israel. And uh, Apollonius leaves Samaria for Jerusalem with 3,000 troops. But Judas Maccabeus defeats him. Then 166, uh, it was 3,000 versus 1,000 in 167. Uh, later on that year, they send down another division, 6,000 Greeks versus 1,200 Jews. And the Jews won again. It goes on by 165, they, they continue to build. They've got a couple generals. They're bringing elephants. They're bringing all kinds of weapons. Uh, they attack. 20,000 verse 3,000. They've got elephants. Uh, and, and the Maccabees win again. 164, there's a, another battle. It's 65,000 verse 10,000. And at this point right here, they retake Jerusalem and clean the temple and they have a sacrifice and they establish what is known as uh, the Maccabees set up the kingdom in Jerusalem. And that is what it would appear is the prophecy is about that. So that's chapter 9, verse uh, 9, 10, 11. Uh, verse 13, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Now, verse 14, uh, we're going to have to look at this for a little bit. And we'll spend a couple weeks on verse, chapter 9, verse 14. Um, it says, during the, the Maccabean Revolt, they take over, they defeat the sons of Greece. Then the Lord will appear. Now, what is unique about this, it was saying, I and they, you know, the, the Ephraim, uh, the, the Seleucids, they would all do the battle, and he would protect them, he would watch. Well, now all of a sudden, chapter 9, verse 14, something happens that did not happen in the Maccabean Revolt. Then the Lord, that is Yahweh, will appear. Now, you're going to have to, you're going to, have to now put on your thinking hats, your critics' hats. But for me, this is a huge, a huge thing just took place. Up until this time, the Lord was empowering 
the people. They were the sons of, of, of Ephraim and the sons of... They were doing the work. They were fighting the sons of Greece. Well, all of a sudden, here it is, then Yahweh will appear. And I got that in bold letters. Now, you can just read through your Bible. He will appear. It's a theophany. It was like what took place at Mount Sinai when the Lord appeared on Mount Sinai and came down and the place was smoking and the place was shaking and the people were terrified because Yahweh actually came into the world and you, you, you couldn't go near the mountain. It's a theo- I mean, he's in the physical world. So no matter how you slice or dice this verse, the Lord has entered into the natural realm. Now, if it's Mount Sinai... We know that story. But this is after this battle. And we're talking about, even if you put it in context, it's after Jesus rode in on a donkey and then ascended to heaven. And now all you got all these battles that they seem to be talking about end time battles, time that hasn't happened yet, but yet at the same time referring back to some of these battles with Greece. Could this be another reenactment? Some people would say the Antichrist is going to come out of Asia Minor. Uh, we can see in a, a Revelation that where Satan has his throne in, in, in the cities there, and he's going to come down out of here. The Antichrist would come in from that area. That's another conversation. We'll talk about that as we go. But nonetheless, here's the verse. Then Yahweh will appear over them. And he, not, not the son of David, or not David, or not one of the kings, uh, he's not going to send somebody. Yahweh will come, will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. The Lord God will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. Now, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a big deal about this. So, you know, put your, you know, put your thinking hats on, temper it down, and say, ah, I think you're overreading it. But when you get into this, this is a huge verse. The Lord will appear. That is, Yahweh will appear. He's here visually. Just like Mount Sinai, uh, when he came down to meet with Moses, he will appear, but he's going to appear over them. He's going to appear over Israel, who's fighting these battles here against the Greeks. Now, he never, in a sense, appeared. over. Them. You could say he was there in spirit. He was there in the spiritual realm. But this is an appearance the lord will sound the trumpet and will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south it could be figurative talk about what he was doing during the maccabean revolt um but i've got this things written down right here underneath this verse i've got circled first of all in there in the hebrew uh then yahweh i'm looking in the the hebrew text they're reading backwards or right to left then yahweh over them and over them is up on above or over above over the sons of zion he will appear over them uh will be seen and that word is appear to see it's the language of a theophany or an epiphany the invisible god appears in history you can like see him he's like a flaming fire he's he's there it's not like a spiritual reference he's like like mount sinai he came in fact mount sinai was this he came down on mount sinai and it started to burn and no one could go up there. And Moses started trembling himself. And uh, it will go forth like lightning, his arrows, and the Lord 
Yahweh, the trumpet will blow. This is the Lord blowing the trumpet. It's not the priest blowing the trumpet. It's the Lord blowing the trumpet when he appears. And go from with the whirlwinds from the south. So this is the Lord coming from the south. So if we extend this down, he's coming from, and you, go, you know the verses, he's coming from south of Jerusalem and he's coming up. The armies of the enemies come from the north the Lord is going to go up from the south. Now, we referred to this last week. We read a bunch of verses about where's the Lord coming back at. But he's coming from the south, moving towards Jerusalem. Um, uh, point two on page 12. This is similar to Exodus 19 on Mount Sinai. Uh, and I, but I, this is after Mount Sinai. That was, that was Exodus 1400 B.C. This is what it says. On the morning of the third day, there were... Tr- thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain this is mount sinai and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled then moses brought the people out to of the camp to meet god i mean he's there and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain now mount sinai was wrapped in smoke because the lord had descended on it in fire The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God answered him in the thunder. So that that was an event that took place in 1400 B.C. This appearing over them is a future event. You're going to have to spiritualize it totally if it's 167, 160 B.C., or this whole event is talking about the lord coming back he's going to appear a normal human military invasion on israel came from the north through syria the lord comes from the south and you can see three references there in judges 5 habakkuk 3 and isaiah 63 uh, he is coming from the south the lord whenever you see the lord invading israel in defense of israel he comes from the south just like he entered the land from the south I mean, just keep that in mind. There's three references right there. The Lord God is Adonai, meaning Lord, and Yahweh, meaning it's the personal name of God, usually written Lord. Together, Adonai, Yahweh would be Lord, Lord, meaning Lord, small letters, Lord, capital letters. God, Yahweh, or uh, Lord God, and appear is the word, it means to see. So when it says, then the Lord will appear, it means then the Lord will be seen. You're going to see him. And it's not spiritually. This is not, I mean, I'm teaching, you're evaluating, you've got the text, you've got some teaching, and you're thinking. But when it says they will see, or he will appear, it means physically they're going to see the Lord. So I don't think this is just a mere spiritual reference. Now, turn the page 13. In this verse, the pronoun I, Yahweh, that's who it's saying, Yahweh, is visibly seen. He is going to appear. And I don't think we're spiritualizing this. I think this is a major moment in history. Now, if this is not a major moment in history, there still is a major moment in history where the Lord will appear and he'll be seen and the nations will flee from him. You understand what I'm talking about, bro. He is going to appear on his throne, and they're going to flee from him. And eventually, they're going to regroup and come back and fight him. Now, when the Bible talks about him appearing, 
you've got two things taking place when you go through Revelation and Jesus' teaching. You've got the Lord appearing, and when he first appears, they flee. They go hide. But before it's all done, they've regrouped, and they gather for battle against the one that has appeared. I mean, that for, that's a, that for me, that's, that's a clue. That's a key. That Again, be careful. Don't, I, I want you to have the truth, but I have some things that I've, I've tried to process. When the Lord appears like lightning, and he's back, and it's over, and we have a picnic in the Kidron Valley that afternoon. I mean, what a great, the Lord came back. I do not think the Bible teaches that quick of an event. The Lord is going to appear in the sky. They're going to flee, hide us from him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. But then he starts fighting with them, and they've got all their groups together. They've gathered from around the world, and they're fighting him. It's like, that, that's, and for me, that you need time. They run and hide. He's in the atmosphere. He's in their presence. And they're going to regroup for battle, and you're going to have a battle. And so, uh, point B on page 13, this is a theophany, clearly a theophany. Now, now when, it, when it happens, or if it has happened, it, it's an appearance, a manifestation of the Lord, or of God. Um, there are three words, my friends, and this is, I'm, I'm going to teach you. There's the word parousia, okay, I'm going to try to spell it right, P-A-R-O-U-S-I-A, Perusia, there is the word, I'm going to write it here correctly. You've got it on your notes. Epiphania. And you're going to have this one right here. Apocalypsis. Now, stay with me on this. This word, perusia, uh, is going to be translated uh, coming. It's going to be translated appearance in your Bibles. Uh, the next word, uh, or presence. I'm going to read you a bunch of verses, and you're going to think, you're going to be judgmental, uh, and you're going to try to decide where these verses take place in your eschatological. They're your New Testament verses. You know them, and you're going to try to you remember where they are. Oh, that's this, that's this. Uh, epiphania is the word that translates appearance. And I'm writing sloppy here. It's in your notes. Uh, I'm going to take this off here, this appearance. I'm going to take that off here. Presence coming. Appearance. Appearing. And I'm going to show them to you here. Manifest. Uh, brightness. And a glorious display. And then there is the word apocalypsis, which means unveiling. It means uncovering. It means revealing. Like in Revelation, the word revelation, and revelation. Now you can't read those, but they're all on your notes here. So these are the three words uh, that we're going to look at. Because then the Lord will appear. A coming, a presence, or this word, epiphania, appearance. 
appearing, manifest, brightness, glorious. This would seem to be the best match. And then you're going to have apocalypses, unveiling, uncovering, uh, uh, revealing, a revelation. And here you go. Here's the verses. Here's the verses. Uh, I am connecting I, uh, Zechariah 9.14. Then Yahweh will appear over them. Yahweh, the Lord, will appear over Israel in this battle. And his arrow will go forth like lightning. Yahweh, Elohim, will sound the trumpet. He's going to sound the trumpet, the trumpet of God. I'm on page 12 reading off the the text. And will march forth in the whirlwinds of the south. The south is where he's coming from. So here we go. The first word, parousia. You know all these New Testament verses. First word, Matthew 24, verses 27, 37, and 39. For as lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the parousia, coming of the Son of Man. As were the days of Noah, so will be the parousia, coming of the Son of Man unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming parousia of the Son of Man. It's used three times by Jesus in Matthew talking about His coming, His arrival, His second coming, the parousia. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15, 23. But each in his own order, talking about the resurrection. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. But each in his own order. Then it says right here, first, or Christ, the first fruits. So when Christ was resurrected, it began the process. But you've got to wait until it's your time. It's your turn to be resurrected. So when Christ was resurrected, he's the first fruits. Now everyone that belongs to him is going to be resurrected, but at their turn or in their turn. Uh, but each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those belong to Christ. At his coming, at his parousia. Now, my friends, you have got, you've got to decide. Matthew 24, uh, the coming of the Son of Man, uh, it, it's, it's going to be like lightning from the east to the west, like it was in the days of Noah. Uh, they'll all be swept away at the coming of the Lord. That's parousia. That's talking about what we'd say the second coming, pretty clear. But we will be resurrected, each in his own turn, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, at his parousia, those belong to the Lord. So now, if you simply put those two verses together, at his appearing, at his second coming, that is when we appear with him. Right there. Okay, so now you've got the second coming, and you've got us meeting him in the air. Right there. Next. Verse 3, or point 3, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope, the church, our joy, our crown of boasting before Lord Jesus at his coming, at his parousia? So you understand, the first one seems like it's when he appears in the atmosphere. Number 2, 1 Corinthians and 1 Thessalonians, sounds like when we meet him in the air. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming, the parousia of the Lord. 
James 5.8. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 1 John 2.28. And now, little children, abide in Him, so that when He appears... Now, I've, I've got that right there. That first word appears is the word phaneru, which means to make visible, to make clear. When He is made clear, when He is visible... That's not this word. So that when He is visible... You can see Him. And now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, when He is visible, when it is made clear, we may have confidence and not shrink from Him in shame at His parousia. So when He appears, that is the parousia. So now you've got that word, and we're talking about these things. We're talking about the second coming. We're talking about what we say, the rapture of the church. Uh, and some would say, well, that verse refers to the second coming. Some say that refers to the rapture uh, as if they're separate events. You know, pre-trib, mid-trib, uh, post-trib. Uh, but parousia, you can already see, that's kind of like, it's the second kind of, okay. Matthew 24 appears to be the second coming. First uh, Corinthians 15 appears to be the rapture. I'll leave number three and number four, 1 Thessalonians 2 and 1 Thessalonians 5, kind of like, well, what's they talking about? You know, I would say the rapture, but uh, let's say it's not explicit. Then John, 1 John 2, that clearly seems like the rapture. But it almost combines the appearing and the rapture at the same time. And you can see the verses there. Revelation 6, 12 through 17. We got two more of the word parousia. When he opened the sixth seal, Sixth seal. I looked, then the kings of the earth and everyone hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? That would be, again, the parousia. And, and the nations are hiding. That's in the tribulation. It's the sixth seal. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven open before, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on, the, on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. Okay, the next word, epiphania. Epiphania uh, means appearance, appearing, manifest, brightness, glorious display. This is where he appears to the world. Now, we've got different Greek words. Maybe they're different times. But it seems like Perusia covered a lot of time periods in there. The end of the church age, uh, the, the second coming, the nation seeing him. Okay, uh, Epiphania. It means appearance. You've got it all written down. That this word is used especially spe, spe, for the advent of Christ, either past or present. Here it is, 2 Thessalonians 2.8. And with then the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. See right there? His appearance of his parousia. The epiphania of his parousia. Now you've got these two words. The, the appearance of his parousia. The appearance of his coming. These two words are right there. So what is it? Is this, this the rapture and this is the second coming? Yes. Oh, okay, well, right here, they're the same thing in the same verse. You can see them right there. And I've got them circled there. It says uh, in the Greek, and then circled will be revealed, 
That's apocalypsis right there. See that? Apocalypse, the revealing, the revelation, apocalypsis. Uh, the lawless one whom the Lord Jesus will slay with the breath of the mouth of him and will annul by the appearing of the coming of him. The epiphania of the parousia of him. There you have it. 1 Timothy 6.14 To keep the commandment unstained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, I would think that's talking about the rapture. 2 Timothy 1.10 Which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Lord Jesus. That would be in the past. He came in the past. He appeared in the past of our Savior Christ Jesus. That's when he came in the flesh who abolished death and brought to life immortality to li- and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. That's his first coming. 2 Timothy 4.8, this is all the same word. 2 Timothy 4, 1, th- 1 and 8, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing, his epiphania, and his kingdom. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his epiphania, or his appearing. Titus 2.13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of, of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So you, I think pretty much Titus chapter 2, verse 13, everyone would agree, you don't have to, that's the rapture, waiting for our blessed hope, the rapture. But that's the same word used in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 and 8, by his appearing and his kingdom, and also to all who have loved his appearing. And so, and it's, they're combined together. It's really hard right now to separate if you've got a pre-trib rapture, and then you're going to have... At, at the end of the 70th, 70th week, the 70 years, you're going to have the, the appearing of the Lord. Okay, that's what we've got so far. Now we've got the final word, uh, uh, apocalypsis, uh, which means unveiling, uncovering, a re- revealing, or a revelation. 1 Corinthians uh, 1.7. I think this is the rapture, but here we go. 1 Corinthians 1, 7, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Clearly writing to the church who's looking forward to, I mean, are we looking forward to the second coming at the end of the tribulation? Or are we looking forward to the rapture that takes us out of either before the tribulation or out of the midst of the tribulation? Uh, but there it is. We're looking forward to what? The end of the tribulation when Jesus Christ returns? Or are we putting these things together that when we are raptured, he is revealed? And so that wouldn't work very good for a pre-trib rapture. It's going to work better for that midpoint rapture when Jesus Christ returns. But nonetheless, here we go. Point two. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. God considers it just to repay the aff- with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven. That is apocalypsis. So he's revealed from heaven. That's when our deliverance is coming. First Peter 1, 7. 
so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not know, now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. First Peter 1 Peter 1.13 I can think of a verse I just read is clearly the second coming, but here's 1 Peter 1.13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is this word right here, apocalypsis. 1 Peter 4.13. Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. And Revelation 1.1 the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made known by sending his angel to his servant John. So you, I, I'm not sure how you feel about that, but do you see there's not like this clear break. Like this parousia is the rapture that's completely separated from the second coming. It's like it's all, it's all seems like three words describing this one event because different things are happening uh the church is being gathered israel's being marked uh the antichrist is going under attack the beginning of the uh the bowls and the and the uh the the uh the bowls and the trumpets are beginning so there we have that right here now i'm going to turn the page i won't go any further but right here at the bottom of page 13, note familiar features that match the Lord's return with the Lord's appearing in Zechariah 9. First, point A, appear. We'll pick this up next week. Appear. These are all, all those verses together. Appear. The Lord himself. The Lord Jesus revealed. The coming of the Son of Man. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. They will see the Son of Man coming in clouds. He is coming. Every eye will see him. Hide us from the face of him. Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? Will come in the same way. And all that ties together. Each of those is tying up all those verses. And I've got more verses on page 16 and 17. Putting this together... That when we read in uh, Zechariah, we simply read in Zechariah, uh, verse 14, chapter 9, verse 14. Then Yahweh will appear over them, over the Jews who are in the midst of some kind of a battle, some kind of a struggle. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, meaning he's marching north towards Israel. Uh, and I guess what I'm saying right here is that it, I'm trying... Uh, you know, I, I was at one time, I was pre-trib for years because that's what everybody was. That's what you should be. And then as I was studying about 2012, it's like all of a sudden verses didn't seem to make sense. And I went into what we'd say a mid-trib or a pre-wrath before God pours out the, the, uh, the bowls and the trumpets that we will be here for the seals because that's part of the testing. Get ready. And then... In chapter 7, the Lord appears, and the church is removed, Israel sealed, and we go into the last phase, if it's how many months, how many part, you know, years it is. And so that's, it's just interesting right here that, that I'm seeing this here. I'm, I'm just sharing that with you. Uh, you are free. You are free to criticize and place this where you want to in your eschatology. You want to make sure you're, you're, you're thinking clearly. But I, I, I really have... 
abandon that pre-trib idea that you know one day the church is just going to vanish and i know people got these charts i went over them 2012 they've got the charts these are all the pre-trib verses and this is what's going to happen and this is the way it's going to be uh, at the second coming but a lot of that it's they're the sa- they're the same it's just your church is going up and the world is going into chaos but it doesn't have to it doesn't have to happen before but anyway that's i think i wrote a book about it what i write what's the book called tony what's that book called i wrote a book about it titanic faith i don't remember but anyway uh we'll talk about that more and you're free of course to think about this uh and we'll talk about it more next week and finish the chapter probably a week after i will pray if you've got any questions uh feel free Father, we do thank you so much for the chance to look into your word. We ask that we would handle these scriptures diligently, but that these would also provide us for a sense of hope and endurance, that as we face the decline of society, the decline of nations, that we would be able to find hope in you and, and find a, a joy in knowing that you are coming with deliverance and with rewards and that our kingdom is eternal with you. Again, Father, we ask for uh, guidance. We ask for truth. And we ask that our hearts might be willing to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for your time.